morning, everyone. To the book of Acts. We're going to read uh, from chapter 6, the first eight verses, seven verses. I'll just pray before we uh, read. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to read from it and to learn from, uh, from what you have to say to us. We thank you for Pastor Keith, who is um, going to expand on that and to teach us. And we pray that you'll um, fill him with your words and that me, we may learn from that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is titled, The Choosing of the Seven. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a, com a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. Oh, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you, and uh, Happy New Year to you all. I love the worship in this church. It's just so beautiful. And you realise when you watch online a lot that it's not the same as being here. It's just not the same. And that's why when we're in heaven with Jesus, they're going to be live. It's not going to be at a distance. It's going to be live worship. Let's just pray. Father, open our hearts that we might see Jesus this morning. And bless every single one of us. Lord, we need your blessing and we thank you for a brand new year. And we thank you for all the things that happened last year too. Even though we might um, murmur and grumble a bit about the things that happened, yet you've changed so many things and we thank you for that. So bless us now, we pray in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Now I want to indulge myself a little bit by taking time to preach on one of my favourite characters in the New Testament, Stephen. And I bet you didn't know that Stephen is the reason why we celebrated Boxing Day after Christmas. Did you know that? Because actually Boxing Day originally was the Feast of St Stephen. And because it was the Feast of St Stephen and St Stephen was the one who waited on tables... They would take all their scraps of food and other stuff, put it into boxes and give it to the poor. So we've got Stephen to thank for that Boxing Day and the Boxing Day holiday, I guess. But if we go back to Acts chapter 2 and we look at the early church and it's fascinating to see, the early church was an amazing place. 
I mean, you've got to keep in mind that these were Jewish people. These were Jewish people. And Jewish people are very much the free enterprise people. Always were, always will be. But, you know, in, uh, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 32 to 34, we read this. It says, Acts chapter 2, verse 32. It says, um, 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yeah, an early form of socialism. Some people would even say communism. You know, they gave up all their possessions and they had everything in common. What a beautiful thing that was. But it didn't last. Human beings being human beings and the church being the church, you start having problems. And the problems start there in Acts chapter 6. Actually, they started with Ananias and Sapphira a bit earlier on, but I'm not preaching on that today. It says in Acts chapter 6, the number of the disciples were increasing and you had Grecian Jews who complained against the Hebraic Jews. Now, let me explain that a little bit. You had the Jewish people who had grown up in Israel, and they were the Hebrew Jews. They were the real deal. And then you had the Jews that lived in different Greek towns. And the reason they probably lived and traded in Greek towns was there was a lot of money to be made in those towns. They were the centres of commerce. But what a lot of these Greek living actually went back to Israel. You know, they migrated back to Israel because they didn't want to die in a Greek city. They wanted to die in their homeland in Israel. And of course, if we look at the statistics, all these guys, when they retire, they take their wives, they go back to Israel and they live there. Most of the guys would probably die and the wives survive them because most older women live longer than older men, don't they? Even today. You go to the Gold Coast today and you'll find it full of older women. Not so many older men, and they're often lonely. I remember when we had little kids and we went to the Gold Coast. It was fascinating because all these older women would come and want to play with your kids because they were missing their grandkids. They'd been brought up by their husbands to retire there. The husbands had died. They were left alone. And many of them, of course, migrated back to Melbourne and back south. Anyway, that's the situation that you had. And the Jews that came from Greek cities weren't considered to be quite as kosher as the Jews who had always lived in Israel. They were looked down upon. They were considered not to be so nice, not to be so good, a little bit traitorous. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees hated those type of Jews. And so it caused a problem because they didn't feed the widows of the Greek Jews. You know, they were being neglected, they were being overlooked in the distribution of food. They distributed food to everybody but there were these bunch of widows who were probably a bit sulky and a bit aggressive and a bit complaining. Nobody wanted to wait in the tables. So the disciples decided to do something. And I'm fascinated by what the disciples did. Notice that there's no hierarchy here. You, know, you haven't got the beginnings of a church structure here. What you've got is the disciples saying, OK, we're going to leave it up to you people. You know, Peter didn't stand up and say, OK, I'm going to organise this. And as Peter, I'm going to set it all up and I'm going to set up the diaconate. He didn't. He said to all the disciples, why don't you choose men among you? Choose seven men. 
and they chose seven men. They all had Greek names, which is interesting, and probably most of them actually came from Greek cities. And they were chosen to wait on tables. And one of those men was... Now, I want to just focus on one of the things that the disciples say. One of the things that they say, and I heard a lot about this when I was a young pastor. They said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. This is what the disciples said, the 12. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word to wait on tables. And then they said, you elect seven people. You do it. You find them. And we'll turn over responsibility on waiting for, 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 for waitressing and, and waitering. We'll turn that responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That sounds really good, doesn't it? I remember a young, as a young pastor, this old minister came and spoke at a rally that I attended and he said, men, he said, he's talking to preachers, he said, for every minute you are in the pulpit, you need to have one hour of prayer. Actually, my sermon should be finished by now. <laughs> and, you know, you get this guilt. You think, oh, an hour of prayer for every minute in the pulpit. I understand what he was saying. And that's sort of what the disciples were saying too. They were saying, look, we're going to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and we're going to devote ourselves to prayer. We're going to take our hands off the practical solving of the needs of the congregation. It sounds good. And yet the question is, was it completely the right thing to do? I'm sure the disciples felt it was the right thing to do. And I think it is important for the leaders of the church to spend time in prayer. And it's vital for the ministry of the word to go out. And yet there seems to be a very gentle rebuke from God when you look at the whole picture as to the way they organise this. Because I want to ask you a question. When you look at the ministry of Stephen and Philip, and we don't know anything about the ministry of the others, when you look at the ministry of these men who waited on tables, do you find actually any account of the time that they spent waiting on tables? There's none there. What do you find? You actually find an account of the miracles they did and the evangelism they did and the ministry they did. Now, that, that fascinates me. That fascinates me. Now here you've got Stephen, and it says about Stephen that he was a man who was full of God's grace and power, full of the Holy Spirit. He was an on-fire follower of Jesus, an on-fire Christian. And he probably was longing to do the sort of things that the disciples did. He probably couldn't wait to get and preach the word. He couldn't wait to go and pray for people so that they'd be healed. And one day the disciples come to him and say, look, the assembly has spoken. Stephen, we've got a ministry for you. And you can imagine Stephen's eyes opening up and he thinks to himself, wow, they've got a ministry for me. I wonder what it's going to be. We want you to provide food to the widows of these Greek Jews. And poor Stephen's face must have fallen. You want me to become a waiter to that bunch of complaining old women? Because they would have been complaining old women. Yes, you've been chosen to become a waiter to these complaining old women. Imagine if Stephen had said no. What is God doing here? What's going on here? Imagine if Stephen had said no, sorry, but I'm waiting for a, a real ministry. I'm waiting for a, a powerful ministry. I'm not going to accept this job of waiting upon these Greek women. But we know that he did accept the job. 
He was appointed to wait on the tables and to serve food to people. And as a result of that, a door got opened to more ministry. Because look at what it says in verse 8. We didn't read this, but in verse 8 it says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. I thought he was appointed as a waiter. And yet it says in the Bible that he did great signs and wonders. There was power coming from him. He became an incredible evangelist. He became just like the disciples. How on earth did that happen? It happened because he was willing to wait on tables. Waiting on tables was the doorway to this ministry. Why? Why did it happen this way? What's God telling us there? Well... It's interesting that when you look at the ministry of Jesus, and let me read to you from Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says something that's very, very central to his ministry. And I wonder if the church was tending to forget this a little bit. After all, the disciples were just humans, and uh, they probably felt pretty important as the church was growing so rapidly. Thousands and thousands of people were coming to the church. And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, we read this. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, we read these words spoken by Jesus. He, he called them together in verse 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus, God the Son, didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. He took the feet of the disciples and he washed their feet. He served all sorts of people. You read the gospels and you see Jesus was constantly serving people. Constantly looking after people, feeding them, healing them, encouraging them, blessing them. He didn't come to be served. He didn't come to be held up on a pedestal. He didn't come to be a leader. He came to serve. And he came to give his life as a sacrifice so that our sins could be paid. He came to give his life as a ransom for our sins. Amazing stuff. You know, it's the heart of the ministry of Jesus it's the heart of them and so long ago I don't even know if I've got all the details correct but I read a book by a lady called Dr Helen Rosevear and she was with Youth with a Mission she was a medical doctor and she felt called by God to join Youth with a Mission and so she turned up at the base and she thought to herself well I'm a medical doctor yeah they're, they're going to want to use me on the front line of all the medical work that they're doing, they're going to want to use me in really important positions. And so she went to the leader of the basin and, and said, have you got a job for me? And they said, well, we need to pray about this. So they went away and prayed about it. And they came back later and they said, Helen, Dr. Helen, we've got a job for you. What would that be? And they said, we want you to be in charge of keeping the toilets clean. She said they were the cleanest toilets on any base in YWAM anywhere. But she said, I was so angry for days and days and days. She said, I scrubbed those toilets. I scrubbed them so hard. I was so angry. But later on, I realised what was happening. 
God couldn't use me the way that I was. He needed me to learn to be a servant, to be a servant before he could release me into ministry. Maybe Stephen was like that. Maybe Stephen, he was described as this man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Maybe Stephen, he just had this longing to go into ministry. But he first had to learn to be a servant. He first had to learn to wait on tables in their hairs, talking about, well, I don't know if they did, but talking about their time back in Athens and back in Thessalonica and back in Ephesus and saying it was much better there. It was sunnier, it was warmer, we had better food. This is, this is hopeless. Why did our husbands take us back here? He had to wait on those people. He had to make sure that they got fed. But you know, the Pharisees, as I said, they hated these Grecian Jews. These Jews that had lived all their lives in, in Greek, they considered them to, to not, be very, uh, not be very kosher, not to be really proper Jews. And one of the people that they hated was Stephen because Stephen began preaching and all sorts of things happened and people got converted. It says there in, in, in verse 8 of chapter 6 that he did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people and all these people came to the Lord and they grabbed him. He obviously was way out in front. The disciples were up in their upper room praying and fasting and, uh, and getting ready to preach their sermons and they didn't seem to be coming to the attention at this moment of time to the Pharisees. But they saw Stephen out there amongst the people. They saw the ministry, the power that was flowing from him. So they grabbed him and he preached a sermon. You know, I look at the length of the sermon that Stephen preached and I think that's probably one of the longest sermons that we've got recorded anywhere in the New Testament. And he was a, a deacon. We call them deacons by the Holy Spirit. Don't ever put deacons down. You know, I think we've probably got it wrong. You know, we have elders and we have deacons, but maybe we should have deacons and then elders. Maybe the place we start is with ministering to the poor and looking after the broken. Maybe that's where we ought to start. But have a look at what happens. Have a look at what happens. And uh, I'm always deeply, deeply moved at the time when he gets stoned because at the end of his sermon, and he must have been praying for weeks and weeks and weeks to preach this sermon, <laughs> it goes so long... And in verse 54 of Acts 7, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Amazing. I remember reading this many, many times and saying, God, why did this happen? Here's Stephen, he's got this incredible ministry. He was humble enough to wait on tables. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Miracles were taking place. Why did you allow him to be killed? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, Peter got rescued from jail. Paul and Silas got rescued from jail. Lots of them got saved miraculously. You know, the God who could break down prison walls and set Paul and Silas free. How come Stephen got killed, got stoned to death? What's going on here? And there are three things I want to say. And with these three things, I want to close my message this morning because I haven't prayed long enough to preach any longer. <laughs> First thing is, in verse 55, notice that Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Has it ever struck you? Because the Bible always says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is he standing? 
He's standing because he's not uninvolved. He's not just seated at the right hand of the Father. He is standing because he is totally involved in what's happening on earth. So when someone dies, when someone that you love is dying and you think, God, where are you? Why aren't you involved? Know this. Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father and he's watching and he is involved. I remember my, my own father died at the age of 56 from a brain tumour. And I remember reading this and crying out to God and saying, God, are you going to do the same to my father as you did to Stephen? You know, why are you letting this happen? And then I realised that Jesus is standing. You know, my dad was a man of very deep faith. And every time he felt that something was happening, he'd say, Lord Jesus, here I come, here I come. You know, when he was a young farmer in Queensland, he developed a, a really bad, serious blood infection called leptospirosis from helping cows give birth. And uh, he was in hospital. And years later, he said to me, Keith, he said, I was in hospital one day and I was lying in the bed and the doctors didn't think I'd make it because this infection was ravaging his body. And he said, I suddenly saw the heavens open. And he said, what I saw there was so beautiful and what I heard was so incredible that he said, I can't even put it into words. I can't put it into words. Yeah, he saw the heavens open. Stephen saw the heavens open. And what he saw there was so incredible. Do you think Stephen was worried about the fact that they were going to kill him? I don't think so. Had a preacher come to Tasmania one day. I think his name was Terry Fulham. And he told about the death of his father. And he said, my dad was a giant of a man. So was my dad. He was six foot six. And his dad was the same, a giant of a man. And he said, we went to his hospital bed. And there he was. There was nothing left of him. He'd been eaten up by disease. And he's lying there. And you know, his sons were all around him. And, and, and he said, you know, we were just weeping. And he said, all of a sudden, my father just sat up and looked into the heavens. And then he said, boys... If you could see what I can see, you would not want me. The first thing I want to say, we have such a wrong perspective on what death is. You know, we, we see death primarily in terms of loss. And for those who are left behind, it is a terrible loss. And there's the pain and there's the loneliness and there's the brokenness. But for the person who trusts in Jesus, it's a promotion into the most incredible the most wonderful, the most beautiful, the most you would not want to go back. I don't think Stephen would want to go back, not after what he saw. That's the first thing I wanted to say. Well, the second thing, actually, the first thing I wanted to say was Jesus is standing. The second thing I wanted to say was what I just said, this vision of heaven, this incredible vision of heaven. But the third thing here is what we have in chapter 8, verse 1. Yes. Now listen to the words that Stephen spoke. Saul would have heard these words. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Do you think that what Saul saw would have had an impact on him? Do you think it would have softened his heart? Do you think when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus that it wouldn't have all fallen into place? You know, I think about that and I think, where was the main thrust of the growth of the New Testament church? I see a lot of them later on. Peter went to the Gentiles a little bit, but you don't see a lot of them. Where was the main thrust? 
It came through Philip. It came through Saul who became Paul. And Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was the one who wrote most of the epistles. It came through that. And you can argue, you can think to yourself, well, God knows what he's doing. God knew what he was doing all the time. You know, the disciples, the disciples, they were, they were pretty set in their Jewish ways. They found it pretty difficult to go to the Gentiles. You know, Peter resisted so much that God had to give him this incredible, miraculous sign. And even then he went very reluctantly to the Gentiles. But Paul, when Paul was converted, he went for the Gentiles. He went there. He went and ministered to everybody and to anybody. And how did Paul start on that path that led there? I believe it was when he witnessed Stephen being martyred. When he saw that. When he saw how a man can die and see Jesus and see him standing at the right hand of the Father. A man can die and ex with exaltation reach out for heaven. How a man can die with forgiveness in his heart because of Jesus. Yeah, that would have had an impact on Saul who later on became Paul. I think this is amazing. What an amazing story. I don't think the focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. I still think that that's really central and that's important. But I do think the temptation would have been for the leaders of the church to withdraw a little bit and become like a clerical class and say, we're going to be the spiritual ones. And here's God who's gently nudging them and saying, no, the miraculous word, wait on the tables of grumpy, blue hair, rinsed ladies from Corinth. Don't take my word on that. They probably didn't have blue rinses. I don't know. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. And we thank you for the life of Stephen. We thank you, Lord, that that man just showed you that he was willing to wait on tables. He was willing to wait on tables, to serve food, to do the practical stuff. And it opened up a door to a powerful ministry. Thank you, Lord, that your hand was upon the church. That you never allowed them to forget the heart of the gospel, which is that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you for that, Jesus. So as we go into this new year, into 2022, Father, give us servant hearts. Hearts that will never think that any task is below us. Hearts that will delight in serving just as Jesus served. And fill us with your spirit, that the world might know, Jesus, that you are alive. Thank you, Lord. Amen.